technology beats in education. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Tonight we're going to take a look at two articles that were written in the mid-90s discussing technology, education, media, where things are going, where things have been. The first one is by Mary Beadle called Technopoly, Media, Monopolies, and Curriculum. The second is by Thomas Reeves, Answering Critics of Media and Technology in Education. So we're going to take a look at both of these articles. I'm going to highlight five issues that I found within these articles and kind of expand on them. So before I get started, I want to quickly remind you that I am the teaching and learning librarian at my university. So that's the mindset I'm coming from when I start looking at these articles. Sometimes I think it's important to understand our perspective before we... So the first area I want to bring up was in Beatles' article, cites Ben Bedeiken's 1992 book entitled The Media Monopoly. And as a librarian, I looked up this book, and there's actually multiple editions of this. So in this book, he's documenting the negative impact of 50 corporations who are dominating the U.S. media. His expertise, he's a former journalism school dean and also a Washington Post editor. So he predicts in his book that mergers over time is going to reduce this number of 50 corporations down to about six. So I was curious, timeline-wise, this book was written in 92. When was his prediction fulfilled, I guess you could say? So I went and dug out an article written back in 1987 by... But I can, who once again made this prediction that by the 1990s, a half a dozen large corporations will own the most powerful media outlets in the United States. Why does that matter? But I can say that centralized control over information, whether governmental or private, is, in, is incompatible with freedom. Modern democracies need a choice of politics and ideas, and that choice requires access to truly diverse and competing sources of news, literature, Entertainment and popular culture. Wow. Hadn't thought of it that way before. We need diversity. We need that cultural experience that we each bring to the table. Beetle referred to this domination causing a loss of the richness of the human experience. So, was Bedeikin's prediction right? I found that by 2001, Frontline, which is a part of PBS, reported that there are five media giants in the United States. Five companies that are controlling information. Where you get your information from. How you get your information. These companies own televisions, newspapers, magazines, book publishing companies, motion pictures. So, Everywhere you get your information from, these five companies are controlling. So that's where we've been. That's where we're coming. But where are we going? Earlier this year, two of the three largest college textbook publishers announced a merger. And the three publishers, if you aren't familiar, are Pearson, Cengage, McGraw-Hill. Cengage and McGraw-Hill are the ones that announced the merger. And Nicole Allen, who is with SPARC, which is an open education advocacy organization, 
stated that if approved by federal regulators, the merger would reshape the U.S. higher education course material market as a duopoly. So Badeikin's referring to monopolies, and here we're about to hit a duopoly with potentially dire consequences in terms of price, access, and control of student data. That's scary. So with this merger, students are going to have limited access to their course materials. You hear these things called inclusive access, which is great in that they pay one fee and have access to a hundred books in that particular um, company's holdings, but they're limited access. They're for that term. They're for that academic year, that semester. They're not able to use the books later, refer back to. They're not able to then purchase a used copy of the book later. They're not allowed to share it with others because there's a single access. So this really does hurt our students. It hurts our faculty and our teachers because you lose academic freedom in the classroom. You're now required to use one of these books in this catalog. You're not allowed to explore what's going to really work for you. So pretty big things happening to keep an eye out on the future. So moving into the future again, another area of concern from Beetle is this uncontrolled growth of technology. She refers to um, Neil Postman's 1992 article talking about culture has surrendered to technology. He believes the uncontrolled growth of technology destroys the vital sources of our humanity and creates a culture without moral foundation. So this made me think of philosophy. I reached out to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, Information, Technology, and Moral Values. Every action we take lives, leaves a trail of information that could in principle be recorded and stored for future use. Have you thought about that before? I feel like I would produce information and send it out when I want to. But what if somebody else gets a hold of my information? What are they going to do with it? That's scary. Do they have the same morals I do? Do they have the same understanding of what's, what's right and wrong, what should be published, what shouldn't be published? And when do they start overstepping my privacy right? These are concerns of the growth of, of technology. Technology is building and building and building. Most of our privacy laws are related to print materials. We haven't thought through technology advancing. Where does privacy come into that? So that would be something interesting to see where that, where that plays out. I mean, it seems like more and more stuff is getting produced and shared. And even in the second half of this week's readings for my course, it's, well, actually, they were, it was a video we watched, was talking about where we're going with technology. What can technology do that's a little scary? So referring back to Reese's article, he talks about technology affords us many benefits. Many benefits but rarely without some hidden or unexpected cost. The examination of these costs within educational context is an important enterprise. People are so in tune to Facebook and other social media sites. I send my daughter to daycare and they want to take pictures and post her on Facebook. To me, that's not appropriate. That's, that's not what I want to do with my, my daughter's image. So that's going to be interesting where that heads. So my next, my next issue that I want to bring up stirred out of something that Reeves said in, in his article, a couple of lines, when he referred to Lawrence Baines, 
and his conclusions that he's proclaiming as reality that technology can make learning more fun, easier, and cleaner. But no data supports the conclusion that technology causes gains in student achievement. And he later goes on to, to talk about Baines appears unaware of the evidence indicating that it may be more effective to engage students in learning with computers than from them. So it's not, it's not working with computers. Having computers be a part of your group, a part of your students' assignments, whether they're exploring how they can use them to improve their learning. It's changing the way they're thinking. So that has me looking for a better understanding of is this good or bad? Is putting computers in a classroom and having students use that as part of their, their tools for it? And he refers to, to Nicholas Carr's Atlantic Magazine article that he asked, is Google making us stupid? So is it changing the way we're thinking? And by Google, he's meaning technology in general. Is it making us stupid? Are we losing our, our abilities? You know, Socrates did not write things down. He was against the paper. Like, you don't write things down. It helps you keep the memory in your head. So what would he think of a computer and us writing things down? In this article by Prinsky, he says Socrates was correct in his fear that writing would diminish our memories, but short-sighted in that concern. While we may remember less and memorize less readily than did our humans in Socrates' day, the addition of writing has made us considerably wiser by expanding our collective memory and increasing ability to share information across time and distance. So is it really making us stupid? Or is it making us find new ways to take what we've learned and move forward with it? Other ways that we can present our knowledge. I don't think it's making us stupid. I think it's making us learn in a new pattern. It's making us think differently. But we have to remember that our students are growing up in a time when that's what they have. Technology is readily at their finger fingertips all the time. It's in their pocket. So tech visionary Nicholas Negroponte talks about the future of education. An article from, he says, well, the question is, how is the generation of children raised with internet technology different from the generation before? The good news is they know they can know what they don't know with little effort. Generations before lived more than, more within the confines of their basic knowledge. The bad news is that the ease and speed of knowing, as well as rapid prototyping, has hurt the long, hard problems of mankind. Not as many people want to face those. It is more fun to do a silly app or small startup than solve nuclear fusion to cure or cure Alzheimer's. So our students are thinking differently. They're interacting differently. So my next area that I want to cover issue concern was brought up in the Reeves article with Clinton's 1997 State of the Union address. And that's internet access. He has the push to wire all K through 12 schools in the USA with full internet access. Full internet access in the schools. That's great. It's in the schools. But what do the students do when they go home? Digital divide is still real. 
even though in 97, that was the goal of the president at the time. The Peer, in- the Peer Internet and American Life Project did some research about the digital divide. They found that in their report from 2012, digital differences, only 62% of people in households making less than $30,000 a year use the Internet. While in those making fifty to seventy four, basically seventy five thousand, that percentage jumped to nine. There's still gaps in high speed internet access, and a Pew survey of access, and a Pew survey of teachers. Teachers of low income students tended to report more obstacles to using educational technology effectively than their peers in more affluent schools. Fifty percent of teachers in low income schools say that their students. Inadequate access to technology is a major challenge for using technology as a teaching aid. So we think technology is great. We're putting it in our classrooms. We're getting students to understand it, to use it for their assignments. But guess what? They go home and don't have access. They can't complete the assignments. They fall behind. That's not really helping. I found statistics from the National Center for Education. Statistics. This is from October of last year. 2018. Reasons children did not have home internet access in 2015. It was too expensive. Family didn't, did not need it or were not interested. And the third is they lacked computer, computer adequate for internet use. The students still don't have the access that President Clinton was looking for 20 years ago. But with that uncontrollable growth of technology, we're getting technology into more people's hands. But then comes in the problem, and this is my, my last issue concern, of media literacy. Do we know what to do with the information once we get it in our hands? So a couple of things I want to highlight for media literacy. This was brought out by um, President Clinton and Nicholas Negroponte. So media literacy. What is it? What, do, what does it mean? Media literacy is an, but with that uncontrollable growth of technology, we're getting technology into more people's hands. But then comes in the problem, and this is my my last issue concern, of media literacy. Do we know what to do with the information once we get it in our hands? So a couple of things I want to highlight for media literacy brought out by um, President Clinton in his 1997 State of the Union. He wanted to focus on media literacy. The ability to read in the 21st century demands the development of new forms of media literacy. Necroponte describes the Internet as a place where children are heard and not seen. He predicts that the reading and writing skills of internet-savvy students will improve because children will read and write on the internet to communicate, not just to complete some abstract and artificial exercise. The importance of media and technology in the development of the new literacy is obvious. These are reflections of President Clinton and Nicholas Negroponte. So media literacy. What is it? What What does it mean? Media literacy is an, is an understanding of what the information is that you found through media, how you handle it, how you process it. 
Michael Caulfield, who is a has written an open education educational resource entitled Web Literacy for Student Fact Checkers, really feels like students they're taught how to look at web pages, they're taught how to publish and produce them, but they're not taught how the tactics and the strategies for understanding those resources, for analyzing the nature of it and the reliability. So he he produced this book entitled Web Literacy for Student Fact Checkers to try to give students a leg up on information, knowing what's out there, knowing what's available. And this is just growing. You see fake news, alternative facts, the presidential elections, the, the just everyday communication. People are saying, oh, that's not true. They're putting it on social media. We've got to get a handle on this and understand what we are seeing, what we are doing, and how we can adjust that. So media literacy is something that I see as one of the key issues when it comes to education, technology, and media. How are we going to make our understand the information overload that's all around them to analyze and process and really think through what's there and move forward? Media literacy is a way to do that. So wrapping up, those are my five things. Media monopolies, the uncontrolled growth of technology, the digital divide, the internet access, the new ways of learning, the media literacy. We got things to do. We've got things to learn. We've got to understand and process what's happening around us. So I look forward to see where these things go. I like to reflect back in five, ten years and see what what I was teaching now and what I'll be teaching then and how, how students are processing information. Where will the computers be? What will they look like? So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to continuing this conversation and see where things end. So once again, thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.